we're the only species on this planet that has an imagination mm-hmm. and, you know, being created in the image of God. And he is literally the, the ultimate creator. Mm-hmm. He has breathed everything into existence and he doesn't duplicate anything. He creates from nothing. And mm-hmm. I think that we have that quality in us, the essence in us to be creative. And I think the, the, expression of our soul comes out when we create stuff. So yes, I, I hear it a lot with adults. Like I'm not creative. I wish I was as creative as you. And that makes me sad because I feel like somewhere along the line, someone told them that they weren't Mm. creative or they started to believe that they're creative. Cause I look at my eight year old, eight year old, I said that again, my seven year old and my five year old, (laughs) and they can dream up anything. They don't have any limits on their creativity you know, they never feel embarrassed by it or limited by it. They're just working away. And I'm like, man, where along the line do teenagers or maybe it's not cool or mm-hmm. grown ups they've been told at some point that it wasn't good or just saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to a kid can really squash their creative confidence. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Josh, JC Alfelto for The Writer's Lens. And what you just listened to was a small snippet from my interview with Kay Smith, a fellow Cleveland creative whom I interviewed uh, just a short while ago, actually, on this podcast. Uh, So if you wanted to check the rest of it out, you're more than welcome to check it out on iTunes or Podbean or any other areas where you're getting this this podcast from. But uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different here uh, since it is the end of 2018, and you're probably listening to this in 2019, so Happy New Year to you. And that would be to compile some of the sound bites from a few of my interviews that I've had. And uh, I only had about a handful of people on the writer's lens this this past year. And a big reason for that was uh, not so much just the time allotted to to get people on here, but more so for my own personal sake, as I was doing a lot of episodes on sort of the introspection of storytelling, uh, how uh, narratives can uh, just affect the way that we read story or even input ourselves in story, uh, dabbling in good versus evil and how art can reflect it as well as battle evil. And my most downloaded episode by far this past year in 2018 uh, was What is the Hero's Journey? Which I found to be uh, slightly poetic in some strange way (laughs) because uh, in in a, a, I guess, not so strange way, being a creative and being an entrepreneur like I am, uh, we do wish ourselves to be on some sort of heroic journey and some great adventure. And I feel like that's what I've been doing over the last year and a half or so with this podcast is really just kind of putting myself out there, but more so exploring a lot of the things that have always garnered my interest, such as narratives and worldviews and storytelling and, and how stories can, can affect us, can affect society, culture, the whole nine yards, the whole gamut of things. Uh, which is what birthed this podcast, uh, The Writer's Lens, in the first place. Uh, Seeing the world through the lens of a writer and an expressionist such as myself. So I hope you've been enjoying this journey along with me. Uh, I will be continuing it into 2019, so fret not. It will be going on. It will continue. (laughs) And uh, Lord willing, it it will grow in leaps and bounds in 2019 as well. So with that being said, I wanted to like I said, share some of the insights that I've had with some of my guests in this episode, relatively short one, here to kind of uh, close out the year. And uh, here's to looking forward to 2019. 
And thank you all again who have been listening and tuning in and liking, sharing, subscribing to this podcast. It means the world to someone such as myself. And without further ado, here is the first soundbite from my interview with Emmanuel Mullen of The Story Is. Creatives have a hard time, in some sense, putting themselves out there uh, Mm -hmm. when it comes to that business side of things like asking for a testimonial or asking for referrals, like that can seem just daunting. Like you just almost like it almost, you almost expect that the network's just going to build itself on its own. uh, Right. Because I've done such great work. I know I do great work and I'm sure other people will enjoy my great work. Tell them about my great work. You know, like I don't (laughs) (laughs) everyone spread the word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard it's called, it's called the creative bias, which I didn't know there was a name for it, but it's the idea of, I will put my stuff out into the ether and just mm. it will sing songs and reap rewards. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely not how the world works. <laughs> no. um, it's so there, I mean, there is, we have been fortunate with word of mouth, but you also have to be intentional about reaching out and cause you know, people, a lot of times they're running their businesses, they're doing their own thing. So for me to think that they're even spending even a little bit of time, like hunting for stuff for us to do is kind of silly. So it's one of those things like, okay, this is, it is, it was a little uncomfortable at first to just ask somebody, Hey, do you know anybody who can do business with us? It's kind of a weird, mm-hmm. I don't know, especially as a creative, you don't want to do that, but we learn like people want to help you, especially if you, they've had a pleasant experience working with you. So we, we, now we have a, we have a process and we ask for referrals and we get referrals and we, follow up and a lot of times they are following up for us which is pretty cool like hmm. they're like hey I just talked to this person for you they're gonna give you a call um so it's been it takes a bit to get used to that and especially the networking side of things where like you go to a event and you don't know anybody and you're just trying to like mm-hmm. hawk your wares it's just it is weird it's like speed it's, dating man it's like you know yeah it's and it's one of those things, okay, how do you how do you get the most out of it? And I found it's more just being authentic and being real and actually trying to make not trying to just sell yourself, it's more just getting to know somebody and that can lead that might lead to business. I thought that part of the interview with Emmanuel was especially insightful, mainly because as a writer myself, I find it very difficult to self promote, at least in the early stages. And it's it's not easy to brag about your work uh, to total random strangers when it's something that's so close to your heart. It's something that you birthed kind of on your own. And uh, as Emmanuel even was talking about as a business owner, it's difficult to put yourself out there and to try and tell people, hey, I have something really good to offer you. You should check it out because it can feel too salesy. You can almost feel like it should sell itself. And the simple fact is, is that it, it doesn't. I mean, there is some effort that has to be taken on the part of you, uh, the creator of whatever it is you've done, that has to take some stake in it. So appreciated that insight from Emmanuel uh, during our, our conversation about his company, The Story Is. Uh, and keeping in line with that, my next soundbite is from Brian Del Turco, who is the owner-operator at Life Voice Quest, as well as Jesus Smart, the podcast, and Substance TV. So Brian's a pretty busy guy, and in this clip, he's talking about honing our unique voice and message as an author. Well, I, I, I would like to think that our, you know, the first priority is like our authentic writing voice, our signature writing voice. Every emerging writer has a signature 
writing voice in them that it may be embryonic and you know it, it it'll develop over really a lifetime of writing you find your voice by writing right josh i mean that's mm-hmm. that's what everybody says how do you find your writing voice you write and you write a lot and that's how you find it mm-hmm. um and and so but so that's a priority like what is your unique like story or or um content that that you want to bring what is the muse in your life resting on right now you know we all go through seasons and growth mm-hmm. periods throughout our adult life and, and and the muse may shift throughout our creative life i would suspect but you know what is the muse writing on okay so being faithful to that being faithful to your emerging signature writing voice and this has to do with like your expectations and your motivation your attitude um and then you know and and then, as you said, just just have that that sense of okay, what is the readership for this right now, or what is the audience in terms of its its size and its composition, you know? And being happy with that, mm-hmm. being fulfilled with that, but just stay authentic. And this is not to say that we don't do practical things, you know. Right along with creating our content, we sort of have to have this parallel track of like building an audience and and doing mm-hmm. practical marketing approaches. Uh, and, and launching techniques, but um, those are all just to get it before the right eyeballs. That's that's the motivation. Moving right along here is uh, a soundbite from my interview with Colleen Ward, uh, who is the owner of an art studio here in Cleveland. And in this uh, tidbit, she's talking about finding our lane as far as being an artist and an expressionist goes and how finding inspiration from other artists and people that might think differently or perhaps uh, work differently than us can actually be a good thing. I also thought it was interesting how you said uh, drawing inspiration from people that, uh, that are different from you. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, that's so fascinating because as a writer, I can't read people's work that's so different than mine. <laughs> Because I feel like it messes with my head, and I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, uh, for instance, I'll, I'll give you a real quick example. Um, Cormac McCarthy is a writer uh, who's done a couple of old Western style books. Uh, he wrote, I think it was, oh my gosh, Blood Meridian. I'm not sure if that's the right name for it, but his style is so different than mine. And I okay. read one. Of, I read one of his books a while back, and. I remember sitting down trying to write something and I started writing like him and it totally messed with my head. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I just went, no, I have to put this guy down. He he was clashing with my style, I guess is the way to put it. Very impressive imagery that he could do. But as far as his style, it kind of was like, oh my gosh. So I think that's really interesting as an artist that you can borrow from someone that's very different from you. Um, Yeah, I think it's really important to do it because it makes you better. I mean, I know that there was a time that I actually studied with another artist. Hmm. And I found that when in that in that period of my life, it was it was really only a matter of I think it was maybe a year, maybe a full year. But my paintings started to look like her paintings. Yeah. (laughs) And it was. Yeah. And it wasn't my style. It wasn't, it wasn't Mm -hmm. what I liked. I mean, I was happy to sell them, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, where I was headed. But Mm -hmm. I think it's funny because when you think back to other, you know, when you read about artists and things like that, Mm -hmm. you can pinpoint 
times in their life when they were an apprentice of someone's because oh. their work becomes like who the, you know who they're trying to mimic. So I think it is important to do that because you you really hmm. do find your lane hmm. that you're that you're headed in um and you get to experience or I'm sorry experiment with hmm. other types of hmm. you know in my case artwork um in your case writing and yeah. and you know what now that you did that you can identify you know, it's, it's easier to identify what your style is too. So, and then the other thing I wanted to mention too, is that surrounding myself with people that are different than me also involves surrounding yourself with people that have strengths that are different than yours. Hmm. So, cause that um, is different. That is different than just surrounding very, yourself that are different than you. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, as an entrepreneur, it is, unbelievable the pressure when you feel like you have to know everything mm -hmm. when it comes to owning a business and lord knows i do not know everything <laughs> and it has been really difficult you know to to um to just kind of jump into this with little to no knowledge of certain things and mm. then all, and have to teach yourself and you you feel like you have to be good at it but mm -hmm. once you surround yourself with people who you know, are strong in certain things like, you know, taxes and, mm -hmm. and business laws and all those kind of things. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I wish I was a numbers person, but I'm not. So <laughs> you have to surround yourself with people that are different. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, they are two different, very different things. But I meant both of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of different ways for writers such as myself to get their voices heard out there. There's self-publishing, which is I have, which is what I've done, and there's also traditional publishing. And then there's some uh, publishing houses that kind of work in between, where they help you market your book, they help you get your message out there, uh, but you also have to do a little bit of legwork. Uh, from this next clip, I'm talking with Dr. Robert Snyder, who's the author of What Is a Veteran Anyway and Why Did Daddy Have to Leave. Uh, he's an Army veteran, and uh, he's an Iraq, more specifically an Iraqi War veteran. And in this interview that uh, I had with him, I was talking about what did he have to do in order to market his book, uh, since it was a children's book and it was aimed at trying to teach people about what a veteran is. And Dr. Steiner had some interesting insights, as far as I'm concerned, as to what he was willing to do to help his publisher uh, get the word out. Well, one of the things that I, I pledged to really help um, Blue Marlin do, because it is a smaller publishing house, is... And part of the way I marketed it again was, you know, kind of saying, here's here's how it's unique. Here's how I can also help with the marketing is is I knew I wanted to sort of self-promote a lot. Mm -hmm. So the publishing house did an amazing job of, of the technical details of, of getting it listed in Barnes and Noble, getting it listed on Amazon um, and sending courtesy copies out to agencies that do, uh, you know, a lot of awards or mm -hmm. um, a lot of reviews. So that part of it was taken off of the load from me because I would not have known even how to go about doing that. How, how do I you know, find states that, that I'm interested in mm -hmm. and you know, sending these copies out for them to review? And through that, that action by my publisher, I then received the um, Notable Trade Book uh, for Young People Award through the National Council of Social Studies, which is a, a pretty big, legitimate professional organization in the uh, education field. So wow. just having that promoted the book tremendously nationwide. 
um, from my end, having, you know, taught many teachers over my 17 years at the universities that are now out in schools, I also knew I wanted to take this book on the road. So this wasn't going to be a book that was just going to, you know, be for sale for teachers to pick up and, you know, right. use around Veterans Day. I wanted to be out in the schools. I wanted to be out there in my uniform and to show them what veterans look like. Now, some of you might be sitting back and going, I don't even know where to begin writing. And thankfully, I did have an interview last year with a friend of mine, Brent McLaughlin, who I believe to be the Zen master of journaling. And journaling is a great way to learn what it is that you as a writer are perhaps aimed at writing about. And maybe you're just not aware of it yet. So writing consistently, journaling might be a good way to start. And in this in this clip here, Brent and I discuss a little bit about what he does uh, to journal and kind of get his thoughts going. Um, my... My method, I don't know if it's anybody, you know, like it's a perfect method for everybody, but my method is to try to have the journal with me when I want to write it, <laughs> write in it. <laughs> that is um, important. Uh, you know, so, you know, I'll take it, take it with me. I, I always have it with my Bible, um, just, uh, just as a companion piece. Um, but uh, oftentimes I write in the morning, um, but I, I've really tried to get away from the guilt tripping, like, oh, I got to write again. It's good. It's good to have that desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I also know that there's been big, you know, it was funny as I was preparing for the session, I was looking back, there's some really like large gaps in my, you know, journaling, uh, really, you know, like two and a half months. And I was like, what, what was happening then? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got married. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I had like, it's kind of a, I had, like, a big gap and then I didn't <laughs> even start writing it until about another week or week and a half after our honeymoon. So like, you know, it let life happen, but, um, you know, our, you know, my encouragement is to have a place to write, you know, the things that, uh, that spark interest in you. So let's say we start to take some of the advice from Brent and from Brian that we've heard about in this episode thus far, and we start to realize what it is that we're truly interested in, um, what inspires us, etc., cetera, uh, like what Colleen was talking about. Uh, where does that eventually collide and how do we figure out what genre perhaps or even the things that we're going to write about will be? Uh, in my interview with Derek Dean, he was able to tell me a little bit about his interest in history and science fiction, but ultimately how he decided on another genre. So here's a short soundbite from that interview as well. It's, it's kind of odd because you know, my background is more in science and physics and math. I always had that interest, but at the same time, I always had an interest. In, I, I've always read a lot. I've always mm-hmm. had ideas for writing for books, and I was big into science fiction most of my life. And even when I was younger, I tried writing things and little stories. So I always wanted to write something, and it wasn't until a lot older really relatively recently that I finally figured out you know what I wanted to write I knew I had some ideas and knew kind of where I wanted to go but mm. once I discovered the fantasy genre about it's probably been about 16 years now ago which mm. growing up I never really read a lot mm. of fantasy it was always science fiction but mm. right before the Lord of the Rings movies came out I finally read those books and I always wanted to finally read them and instantly I said okay this is the kind of fiction I want to write not exactly but in the fantasy uh, genre and to really combine that with 
my interest in history and some other things and try to bring something kind of a new spin on it. Finding what we're interested in is just part of the journey, of course. And one of the things that we may look back on after we've been getting going is was there an effective blueprint that we could have followed in the first place? <laughs> in uh, this next uh, soundbite, I'm talking to a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Luketic, who is an entrepreneur uh, here in Northeast Ohio. And I interviewed him on the sole premise of talking about launching platforms and talking about what it takes to be a true entrepreneur that is willing to take some risk and go out into the world and, and try to make their dreams come alive. And uh, Daniel was able to share with me uh, some interesting tidbits about some things that he went through as far as trying to find that blueprint and what he wishes in some respects, some things he might have changed if he could go back and do it all over again. Something I wish I'd done earlier um, was finding strong uh, mentors and advisors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no matter the career, no matter the organization, no, you know, the size of the organization, um, uh, no matter the industry, no matter the career path, um, you know, if you think about the model of athletics or, you know, their number or um, education and others, you know, these models where there's very clearly, you know, the, the senior individuals, the coaches, mm -hmm. you know, the structure of, you know, taking an individual, a young person under, under their wing and, you know, teaching them, showing them the way, sharing learnings. I think for, for some careers that doesn't happen as naturally mm -hmm. and, 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 and people need to kind of seek that out earlier. I know for, for me, I had a number of people, investors and, and, and people along the way that were mentors. But if I was looking back now mm -hmm. and thinking about what I could have done differently that maybe just would have um, even given me more confidence earlier on to wrestle with some of these things that you just mentioned of yeah. just maybe some of the insecurity or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the understanding there is a light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, charting the path when it's a little bit different career path or riskier than what you might be comfortable with. I think having... Um, an even stronger mentor or advisor or network of those individuals mm -hmm. that I really aired all the dirty laundry to, right? Personal and professional alike, someone that you could have as a confidant that um, had was, was really truly the definition of what you wanted to be. Speaking of looking for mentors and trying to find guidance along the way, uh, my next clip comes from my very first interview with Willie and Rachel Scott, the husband-wife duo and co-founders of Better Than Blended, uh, Ministry for Blended Families, as well as the authors of Better Than Blended, uh, Taking Your Family from Surviving to Thriving. Willie and Rachel uh, were of particular interest to me because I'd not only met them at a author showcase, but after talking a bit, uh, they gave me some information about how difficult it had been for them to find other blended family uh, voices, or rather unique voices in the marketplace that were writing about this kind of thing. And when I asked Willie and Rachel about, well, did you have someone that you could kind of rub shoulders or elbows with and learn from? Here was their response. I love this question because... <laughs> no! No, really? 
<laughs> no, like what? we've had like virtual mentors, yeah. but literally no one. And we we were looking for someone. We're like, somebody, right. please help us. <laughs> like, she you? was my. She, I'm telling you, literally, she was looking for books. And, like and no one. Um, I would say our mentor was God. Like is that's yeah. literally how we get all our download and no next steps and you know divine connections of course mm -hmm. but there was no one and it literally was like a whole season where i was looking and anybody that came across i'm like are you the one are you the one are you the one <laughs> you're not the one <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome because we get to it's built in us this um desire to want to be mentors to other people because right. we lacked it right. and we and although we felt like we could have um we lacked it, that personal touch, you know, mm -hmm. that personal, hey, let's sit down and talk. Let's help you through that. So it's a passion of ours now wow. to see other people with visions that are like, sure, however we can help. I mean, we have, we're only this far into the process, but whatever we can do, right. we'll help with. Because we had no oh, one. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, I know that shocked you because I was like, I wish I could say a name. I'm like, this question is awesome. <laughs> No. Well, I'm glad I asked it then. Because... But, it encouraged, but it's encouraging the people to know, like, you may not find a mentor in the process, mm -hmm. but continue going, continue moving forward, and you will get direction and you'll get divine connection and all of those mm -hmm. things will happen if you're on purpose. Right. Sometimes, and you said this, sometimes you may not find the mentor um, in the form that you're looking for because you're called to be the mentor. Mm -hmm. So you have to go through the trenches. You go through the bumps. Yeah, yeah. And the bumps just so you can be that of what you need is. So in accordance with what Willie and Rachel are talking about, there is hope for us as far as finding a mentor because we may have to be our own mentors and ultimately putting ourselves out there, putting our voices out into the the great unknown of the internet space is ultimately what as a writer and a creative uh, we're called to do if we really do feel like this is something uh, that we should be doing and we do have a unique message and a unique voice for other people to hear. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in and checking out all these various sound bites from this kind of best of or greatest hits episode here on The Writer's Lens. For all the full interviews, you can check them out on YouTube or head over to Podbean or on iTunes. You can check them all out there. So big things coming in 2019. I hope you guys are having a great week and a great start to the new year, and I will catch you up with you again soon. This is Josh J.C. Alfelto for The Writer's Lens. Mm -hmm.